Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Catch your errors before your users do with Rollbar. If you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they have a special offer for you. Go to Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Sign up and integrate Rollbar to get $100 to donate to open source projects via Open Collective. Once again, Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Happy New Year. I hope your 2019 is off to a great start. Uh, it's the new year, so JS Party is back. And we're here recording a podcast episode about static site generators, which I recently learned could be abbreviated to SSG. So I've actually never heard that abbreviation before. So i already learned something new. Um, joining me today, we have the one and only K-Ball. Hey, hey. And we've got Chris joining us. Hello. So I thought we'd kick off the conversation just explaining static site generators to anyone listening who might not know. Um, and also, I just love to hear y'all's definitions of it, because I find sometimes with these things, everybody's got a different perspective on what it means. So anyone want to throw off their definition for static site generators? Not it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. You're going to throw that ball over here. Um so definition for static site generator is something that generates a static site. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, if we step back to how uh, websites started originally, like the very first websites were just static content. It's some files, um, HTML. At, at the very beginning, probably just HTML. Then you add CSS, you add some JavaScript, and you have a web server that just sends those files to a browser. doesn't do anything fancy with database or anything like that. Um, static site generators are a way of sort of coming back to that, but giving us more power and more flexibility. So you know, the benefits of that kind of static approach is you know, it's very, very fast. You can um, you know, push things up to CDNs and, and take advantage of you know, getting content really close to things. It's very cacheable. Like there's nothing that changes between when somebody loads the page once and they load it again. Um, the disadvantage is it's not very flexible, it's very manual, um, and static site generators kind of give you a, a midway ground where you're still able to do some, uh, take advantage of software to generate your pages. You know, it doesn't have to be, I'm literally copying out the layout in every page, like really old school uh, HTML sites. Um, but, the end of the day, you end up with static files, so you get a lot of all the benefits. So you're you're basically pre-computing a static site rather than writing out a static site from scratch. 
Right. Yeah. I I, I would add to that that um uh it it it's almost it's almost like a, a CMS um where you it's like maybe maybe a and typically with, with some of these at least you're actually editing a a say markdown file or something and um you only really once you've got your your uh you know, page layouts and your styles, all you have to do is edit content. Um, and usually these things will just see, uh, once, once you regenerate the site, um, then, you know, all your content is in a new page. Uh, and yeah, that's, you know, it, it's kind of like a CMS, but, um, a little more, I, I guess, close to the metal. I don't know. I think the kind of relationship between SSGs and, um, CMS. Wow, that was a lot of abbreviations. Um, is interesting just because in my mind the like explosion of different static site generators kind of correlated with the period in time that I associate with like the explosion of like blogs and media sites on the web. And if you look at a couple of the static site generators out there, most of them, not most of them, quite a few of them are. Um, developed and maintained by media sites, whether it's a newspaper or some sort of like journalist blog or something like that. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how a, a new type of content or thing on the web kind of directly correlates with um, interest in that technology. Um, I'd say it's like the 2008 to 2010 period is when I think a lot of the static site generators came out. I might well, be wrong on that, so don't quote me. I feel like we were in a... So there was a definitely a generation where the first set were coming out and they were very content-focused and CMS-like in a lot of ways. And you know that's still very much a niche within static site generation. You know That's something that you know my website, my, my company website, is a static site generated with Jekyll, which is a Ruby-based static site generator that I think we'll talk about later. And it's very much in that sort of CMS model. Um, but we're also seeing now with the, the explosion of uh, single page applications and uh, you know, taking advantage of making as, pushing as much stuff out to kind of the edge and to CDNs as possible. Like there's a whole new generation of static site generation um, or SSGs that are around more fully featured applications, um, especially taking advantage of uh, you know, kind of APIs for dynamic pieces. So you'll see folks using a static site generator to create an e-commerce store and relying on an API for the actual purchasing, but you know, doing the vast majority of the, the content is pre-generated. Uh, the entire website is you know, essentially pre-generated. The cart is managed in JavaScript, um, maybe with a cookie or something like that. And then you call out to a, you know, a couple services like a, a Stripe and then, you know, something else or, or um, Snipcart or something to manage the final payments and, and ordering process. But um, so I think this model of CMS like, you know, blog like simple content um, static site gender was the first generation. But we're very much in the middle of a, a boom in a second generation of static site generation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It reminds me of something that I wanted to mention a little bit later, but sort of 
where static site generators are headed and their relationship with um, what is called the Jamstack, which I think is a really funky name, but stands for JavaScript APIs and um, markup. And it's just kind of this new way of creating web projects that we can discuss. But yeah, that seeing that evolution from just static content to more dynamic websites is really interesting. I feel like, you know, to me, it's gone from what is CMSable, you know, what is just content, to what is pre-computable in a lot of ways, right? Like, what is, um, you know, what can we possibly calculate upfront or you know, prepare upfront so that at the time the user is interacting it, and this kind of speaks to the the reason one might go with an SSG, even with a more complex site. At the time the user is interacting with it, they don't have to wait for us to do calculations or database lookups or anything like that. Like you might have a static site generator that actually has a database uh, that it's talking to in the back end, uh, but it talks to that ahead of time. It pre-computes all of those things so that by the time the user's having to load it, they're just fetching some HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that has been pushed up to a CDN server that is close to them. And this allows uh, phenomenally faster websites, you know, things that are just unbelievably fast, even though they may be relatively complex. I think it's important to understand when we talk about uh, deploying these things to to the edge or, or whatever, we're we're basically these sites. You're you're gonna run um, your 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 build, and maybe you run that in some sort of uh, you know continuous integration or, or uh, you know continuous delivery pipeline or something. But maybe you run it even locally to test it out. But um, once you do that. It, the result is just a bunch of HTML, CSS images that can be deployed like to any web server. It can be deployed to Amazon S3. It can be deployed to you know, some, some Apache folder somewhere. Um, so you don't need PHP running. You don't need node running on the background um, or in, on the back end. You don't need a, a Python server or anything like that. All, all you need is just something that serves pages. Yeah. And a lot of times that something can just be an S3 bucket or something like that. You know, you, this enables you to essentially serve a website without actually hosting anywhere. Or, you know, I serve my static website. I do have a server. Um, I have a tiny, uh, you know, whatever the smallest server allowed by DigitalOcean. Uh, and I've got Nginx running there serving my content. And then I out of it, I put Cloudflare and it costs me $5 a month. And when I get front paged on Hacker News, it handles it just fine because it's basically not having to do anything at the time folks are loading it. Um, you know, most of the content gets served uh, either very fast from Nginx or even faster from Cloudflare. Yeah. So if I could summarize a couple of the things that we discussed about some of the advantages of static site generators. Um, one that we mentioned right off the bat was they're much faster with respect to uh, requesting content for users. Um, we talked a little bit about just not having to hassle with having like PHP or Node or whatever on the server um, and then being able to kind of handle surges in traffic um, more effectively when your new blog post makes it to the front page of Hacker News. As a general concept, not directly related to a specific static site generator, are there any disadvantages that come with using SSGs? 
Definitely. I mean, it, it gives you a lot less flexibility in terms of reacting to uh, variations in a user. You know, so like, for example, anytime you would want to reference a database field and do some lookup and maybe you want to do like, oh, actually, yeah, here's a really good example. So if I want to do filters by category for my blog, you know, and let somebody, you know, kind of filter based on what category I've put, maybe by tag, do things like search or something like that. Uh, search is almost impossible in some ways. I have to end up doing that on the client, something that would be extremely simple to do in a, I, I shouldn't say it's almost impossible. It's much more complex, particularly in a, in a dumb static site generator, um, you know, something that doesn't have advanced JavaScript built in. Uh, because to generate dynamic results, I don't have a database query I can run on that. Like I essentially have to look at everything and then do any sort of filtering or searching I would do on the client. Or I have to pre-compute those category pages and put everything on it, right? Like stuff that, that allows a user flexibility in how they're consuming your content in terms of search, in terms of filtering, in terms of that sort of thing. It's not undoable, but it certainly becomes more complex to do in a static world. Chris, are there any disadvantages, other disadvantages to static site generators from your experience? N not, not, I mean, I, I wouldn't say as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. I, I only have major experience with one of them, and I can, you know, talk to my experience with, with that, but I, I can't make any generalizations about it. So... Cable and Chris, um, if I am a developer and I'm looking to start up a new web project, how, what kind of criteria should I think about when determining whether or not I might want to use a static site generator for whatever it is I'm building? Like, what's your piece of advice for me mm. as I'm trying to make that choice? I mean, it seems pretty simple. It, like, if you're going to use a static site generator, like, I would almost default to to using that if you can get away with it, um, and and then kind of going and saying, okay, well, uh, we we need to list out our requirements, and are, are any of these requirements going to um, take a static site generator off the table? Because it's it's really a great way to you know to to build a site. Um, it's I, I find it. It's it's like my go-to if I'm going to make uh, any sort of site. Um, if I need something on the back end, well, I'll I'll know that. But I'm going to start with static site generator and then um, see if I need more power, basically. The biggest thing that I would ask for static site generator uh, from a developer standpoint is how frequently is the information that's being used for the site changing and how flexibly do users need to be able to access it? Um, you know, if it is something that has little pieces of it changing all the time. Oh, and I guess the, the final piece is who needs to be changing that content? Though there are tools that you can use to enable sort of more flexible CMS stuff with static sites. But, um, you know, if you have something what that's... What do you mean by who is using that? Yeah, so if you're if you are you know creating a blog that has lots of different folks writing it and and maybe those folks need 
you have different levels of permissions for how they're writing. Maybe those folks, um, you have more different levels of technical expertise. When you're using a static site generator, you either need to have those folks actually in the code writing their stuff or committing things, or you need a whole nother set of tooling around that, uh, which you can do. And there are, you know, headless CMSs or things that you can kind of now plug static site generators into to enable that. But that's another level of complexity. You know, if you're, if you're looking for something that lets you have a multi-person blog that where you're you know, managing who can write what and having publish approvals and things like that, like you get that out of the box with something like a WordPress, whereas with a static site generator, you're going to have to plug together a bunch of different tools. So if it's a blog that's being written by, or a, a website that's being edited by one or two technical people, um, a static site generator is going to be way easier to maintain. You're not going to, you know, it, they just commit code, they build it, they push it up, it's great. Um, so it, it really depends on like how, you know, who is needing to use this site that you're building in what ways and what are their workflows. Um, and if those are workflows where you, once again, you need lots of different roles and people editing and, and you have non-technical folks involved in that process at potentially even different levels. Um, I, once again, I think there are tools that let you manage that with an SSG, but those are additional tools on top. You don't get that out of the box in the way that you would with a WordPress or something similar. There, there isn't something like that. I mean, I guess I would assume that that somebody would have a. I mean, basically, the the editing interface itself could be an app or a or a a server that would actually let somebody go in there and use a nice rich text editor. And then it would save out, um, I don't know, wh whatever in whatever file format, like maybe Markdown. And then uh, at some point later, you can trigger the build, which would, would deploy. And this would be a completely separate site. I don't know. I assume there's something like that out there. It seems like it would make sense. There's, does anybody know of any, anything? I mean, I think there... I am not too familiar. I think there are... Um... You know, there's tools for like integrating content management with things like Jekyll. Like I think um, you mentioned and or Tim mentioned in the chat that he's used Siteleaf uh, for folks to manage the CMS. So I, and I, I've used I don't remember what it was, but I've been recommended something similar uh, for you know enabling non-technical folks to update a content in a Jekyll site and things like that. Um, I would imagine, you know, I know Gatsby has, which is a React-based static site generator. There's now a company behind that. They've raised funding. I would imagine that one of the things that they're going to be addressing, if they haven't already, and I, I'm just trying to look on their site and see if they do, and I, I don't see it at this point, but I would imagine that's one of the things that they're probably going to plug in and enable as well, is, you know, some of the pieces around that. Um but you know, once again, it's something that you have to think about if you're planning to do a static site generator for a you know set of folks who are not comfortable or whose workflow does not enable them to manually update the code. So if I could summarize when I'm looking to start a new web project and I'm debating whether or not to use SSGs, the two main questions I could ask myself are who's going to be authoring content? Uh, with this on this web project. Um, and then the second is how much of the interactions the users are having with the website is going to be dynamic. 
um, versus how much of it is just serving up articles or something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. With that in mind, one thing I want to get right into after the break is starting to talk a little bit about some of our personal experiences with SSGs, because I know we were all talking about this before, and some of us have used static site generators across different contexts, so I think it'd be cool. Um, I'd love to hear about all y'all's experiences with them. Um, So we're going to dive into that right after this break. Uh, Stay tuned, and we'll be talking about our own experiences with static site generators. This episode is brought to you by our search partners at Algolia. Algolia is a powerful search as a service solution, and it's easy to integrate and use with API clients, UI libraries, and even pre-built integrations. If you've ever searched Hacker News, Teespring, Medium, Twitch, or even Product Hunt, then you've experienced the search results of Algolia Search API. We even use Algolia here to change all the power of our search. We're able to fine-tune our indexing, gain insights from search patterns, as well as analytics. We can create custom query rules to influence our content's ranking behavior. We have full control. It's awesome, and we love it. Check the show notes for a link to get started for free, or learn more by going to algolia.com. That's A-L-G-O-L-I-A dot com. Hi, everyone. Uh, We're back. Uh, We're ready to dive back into the conversation about static site generators. And we're just going to kind of do a little roundtable and discuss our experiences using certain... Um, static site generators um, in the past. Um, I can kick it off with one that I sometimes feel guilty about calling a static site generator, although it technically is. Um, And I can kind of talk about how we used it in two different contexts. This particular tool is called uh, Next.js. If you're in the um, React ecosystem at all, you're probably super familiar with it. Um, it's a tool that allows you to create um, websites that are rendered server side with the actual kind of markup written in React or JSX. And I've used this in two contexts that I think kind of show the flexibility of this tool. Um, and these are both in open source context. So if you're listening to this and um, you're curious about what the code for this might look like, you can um, check it out. I'll mention the GitHub repos. Um, so the first is kind of a more traditional content-heavy static site. Um, it's the homepage for the Interact project, which you can visit at interact.io, which is just N-T-E-R-A-C-T dot um, And this is written in text and Next.js. If you go visit it, it looks like your kind of like standard landing page with your menu items and your hero image and, and all of that fun stuff. And this is um, powered with um, React and then styled components in the back end for styling. Um, and then kind of just rendered as a static web page. Um, the second way that we've used um, Next.js is more so for the fact that it's a server-side rendered implementation of React than it is as like a static site generator. And that's for a tool called Interact Play, um, which you can find at play.interact.io. 
And if you visit the webpage, what play is, it's kind of basically like a JS fiddle or a, like a Repolit clone where you can like write code um, on one side of the screen and hit run and it'll execute and show the output on the other side of the screen. And you can, I think you could like use Python and R and a couple of other programming languages on there. So one of the things that I've really enjoyed about Next is the developer experience if you're not looking to do too much outside of the scope of how they intended the tool to be used, which is a fair expectation. So to get started with it, um, you basically install Next and React and you set up some build scripts in um, your NPM package JSON. You can run a local dev server that has like hot module reloading um, and a couple of neat other neat um, development features. And then when you're ready, you can either export um, the page to static HTML and serve that, or you can um, just run a production build of it. I think it runs a node server when you when users are it runs a node server in the production build. So yeah, developer experience is really great. It's really easy to get um, started with. They've got a ton of examples in the repo on how you can integrate it with other tools like styled components, um, Redux, all of the things that exist out in the world that you'd want to use. Um, one of the big hiccups that I've hit with it recently is getting it to work well in a uh, TypeScript build. Um, so one of the things we've been doing on this um, open source project is migrating our code base from um, type checking with flow to having all our source written in TypeScript um, and having type checking done that way. Um, and it's just been a bother to set up mostly because you've got a ton of interesting kind of attributes. Um, for example, our code is in a mono repo. And so um, we have to set up um, references for packages within that mono repo and have them be recognized by our um, development setup in Next.js. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, we've had trouble stepping outside the bounds of what it was intended to be for. And their TypeScript experience has been a little subpar um, from my point of view. They're actually actively converting their code base from JavaScript with flow to TypeScript. So that might change in the future. Um, but yeah, that's been my experience with with Next. I, again, I think it's like super cool that you can use it to make something like Interact Play, which is like a very dynamic um, <clears throat> and interaction-focused application. And really all we're leveraging there is the fact that it's rendered server-side um, and also leveraging the developer experience. But then you can also make something like the Interact.io website, which is just like plain standard static landing page. Would you say it's it's overkill for something like documentation for an open source project? Um, so I think it's actually maybe a little underkill for something like documentation for an open source project. Um, and I think it goes back to that. Um, one of those criteria that we mentioned in the last segment, which is um, thinking about who's going to be authoring content um, for this website. Um, in my perspective, um, static site generators, or sorry, um, 
documentation pages for open source projects should have um, a authoring experience that doesn't require anybody to be a developer in order to write documentation. Like they shouldn't need to install Node or NPM or um, know about Webpack or any of that. Like they should just be able to write Markdown or write plain text and have that be the way they contribute to open source. So, um, or the way they document open source projects. So yeah, I think I, I wouldn't use it for documentation pages, but just for like static sites, I think it's adequate. So you, you wouldn't be able to easily just toss some markdown files in a directory and have it render a site. I'm sure you could set it up to do that. Um, and I've seen people do it, but, um, I know in my personal experience, we're using a completely different tool for that. Um, it's called Doxify, which kind of accomplishes the task of put a bunch of markdown files in a repository and it'll take care of rendering them in a gorgeous web page. Um, I'm sure you could set that up with Next.js. Again, I'm not discounting it for that, but I think you'd have to write some of the glue yourself. Right. Does, does not do it out of the box. So. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't used Next much, but I've used Nuxt, which is kind of the view equivalent inspired by Next.js. And they are, they're basically their front-end application frameworks that happen to also have a static site generation mode, right? They're designed for building a client uh, application that is what, you know, quote-unquote universal JavaScript, meaning it can render server or client. Um, they have a bunch of stuff optimized for that. And then each one uh, in Next, I think they call it export. And in Nuxt, they call it generate. But they have a mode that lets you, if you want to, generate a static site from that. But yeah, that's it, they're very definitely not optimized for that sort of content-focused experience. They're application frameworks more than anything, I think. And I think it's, it's kind of cool because you do get kind of the flexibility that I mentioned where you can build a very interactive application on one end and a pretty static website on one end using the same tool. So it's kind of a cool way to get the, the best of both worlds in a sense. Chris, you mentioned you had some experience with um, Jekyll. Can you share just because I think it, I'd love to hear a little bit more about something that's kind of come out of the Ruby ecosystem? All right. Well, uh, so uh, I, I've used Jekyll to build a personal blog, but um, and, and do not anymore. But uh, currently, mochajs.org is built with Jekyll. Um, and so Jekyll is, it's basically one of these things where you define some templates, um, which are kind of represent the HTML skeleton of your, of your, of your site. Um, and you have some markdown files, or in Mocha's case, you have one big markdown file. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so you take this stuff and you, you run it through Jekyll and it outputs um, a site on the other end. So uh, it, it's really pretty easy to get started with um, b because it's a Ruby thing. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Ruby ecosystem. I don't, I don't really know too much about Ruby. Um, I know that Jekyll is written in Ruby. Uh, and that I have to install Ruby and some other things to make it work. But um, yeah, so it's it's pretty easy to get started with, assuming you don't have troubles with with getting um, you know Ruby and Bundler and some other things running. Um, 
one advantage to using Jekyll is that, uh, well, there, there's a couple cool things about it. One is that it has a pretty, it's, it's mature. It's, you know, been around for a while and it has a really, you know, kind of great plugin ecosystem. So if there's something that it's not doing that you need it to do, somebody's probably had that problem and has published a plugin for it. You can pick up. Um, the other thing is that if you want to deploy a site to GitHub pages, um, which is actually a really easy, it's, it's a great way to use Jekyll. So if you have, if you wanted to, you know, make a little blog or, you know, a, dev, a you know, development portfolio or something on GitHub, it's really easy to just create a repo, um, and use Jekyll and GitHub pages, um, actually has, it supports Jekyll natively. And so you can just push uh, a Jekyll config and, and all your, your content and your templates and whatnot. And, um, GitHub will automatically publish it to GitHub pages. Uh, now, so they don't, there's some limitations there. Like you can't use just any plugin under the sun if you're doing it that way, but you could still, um, actually generate your site locally and then push, uh, the, the, the export, uh, up to GitHub pages and, and then there you go. Um, but yeah, so it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty easy to use. Um, Mocha is actually going to be, there's currently a, a PR open to switch over to a different system. One that's JavaScript based because like the, the Ruby requirements and everything is just kind of giving some of us fits. Um, and you know it's going to make deployment uh, easier, and and just it's going it, to right now it serves it's it's like a barrier to contribution because yes we're you know it's a JavaScript project, but if you want to work on the docs and build it, you have to install Ruby and all this blah blah blah. So um, I'm excited about switching away from that. I don't really have any you know major gripes with Jekyll other than it's not written in JavaScript, but <laughs> um, yeah that's that's kind of my experience with it. I feel like Jekyll has, uh, it's one of that first generation that's really focused on the like CMS-like behavior, and it's got a lot of those features you might expect in blogs with lots of themes and, and stuff like that. What SSG is the PR open to switch to? I'm kind of curious where, where the community is going to replace that style of SSG in JavaScript. So it's and uh, and I haven't gotten a chance to look too closely at it, but it's something called Eleventy. Um, what is that URL? Eleven. That's not even a number. Eleven T. <laughs> um, I found it. I found I've, it. At the website is eleven the numeral t y dot io for those who are curious. Eleven t y dot right now. Ah, okay. Okay, great. Yeah. No, yeah, and so it's 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 supposed to work similarly to to Jekyll, um, which is why uh, uh, um, Munter, one of uh, the maintainers, chose chose it. Um, but yeah, so it looks like it's got some rave reviews, but uh, looks neat. Nice. Yeah, I've I've never heard of this tool. It's so interesting, but it looks like the um, the V eight website is written using 11 and a couple of other quite popular websites that's interesting i've used a, another very simple javascript base I, I almost hesitate to call it a static site generator uh, as opposed to a static page generator um 
you know, called Panini, which came out of Zurb and the team that behind Zurb Foundation. Um, and it's, it uses handlebars. So it lets you do templating. It lets you do, you know, layouts and partials and all of that stuff. But it doesn't like, this is actually an interesting, um, place to, to look at when you talk about a dimension that you could be making decisions on. So we talked sort of about the sort of kind of CMS driven or CMS like static site generators versus the more application framework, static site generators. Um, when you get something like Jekyll, it does a lot for you in terms of wiring the site together. And it, you know, has preconceived notions about the way pages fit together and, and you know, what a post it's, you know, quote unquote blog aware. So you know, some idea of like what a post is and how that works. Panini is simpler in some ways than that. It's only focused on one page at a time. It doesn't have a concept of a site. You have to put that together yourself with your own structure. Uh, but what that enables is that you can actually use it for generating, for example, emails. So it's used both for generating sites, uh, but also for generating HTML emails and you know, plugging things in and giving yourself a simple programmatic static site generator-like flow for that found it I, pros and cons to it you know it's it's great in that it's simple to set up if you're not doing if you're doing this kind of simple flow it's really nice how flexible it is because it does less it lets you plug it into your own workflow in different ways uh, that said if you're going outside of the pre-established workflows you're going to have more work you know it was nice to be able to use it for emails if you're doing complex emails it you know let you treat html emails in a modern development workflow rather than the nightmare that they typically are especially when confined with or combined with foundation for emails which gives you like a email specific dsl i have a, an example site that we built with it when i was working at zurb um, which is for foundation building blocks um, which is kind of interesting because it's a more complex uh you know it's a static site but it's you know it, it was essentially it had you would build these code samples um that are sort of higher level components, right? They're, they're examples of how you might do something uh, using foundation. Uh, but the code, you build the pieces of it. You build the, the, the building block essentially with an HTML piece, a JavaScript piece, a CSS piece uh, or SAS piece. And then the site, when it generates, it plugs that all together. It creates navigation. It does a bunch of um, you know stuff that lets you see a preview and do, do various things of how it works. So it was a fun example of how you can kind of flexibly create something that feels like a dynamic website. You know, it feels like something where you've got a CMS backed, you know, set of uh, things that you're, um, you know, showing and, and generating lots of different views for and things like that, but it's all happening statically at build time um, and it's open source. So you can go and check that out. Um, I'll drop the, well, we'll have in the show notes and I'll drop in the chat right now, a link to the final page and then also the, the repo uh, behind it. So I'm curious to know, um, one of the static site generators that we mentioned earlier on was Gatsby. It's a pretty popular one. I think I've touched it a couple of times, um, but nothing too deeply. Do any of you have experiences with it or have seen anyone do anything interesting with Gatsby? Because it seems like it's pretty popular at this point. I think it's technically a VC funded open source project now. So it, it seems like they've gotten a lot of attention and I'm curious to know what it's like to use from a developer perspective. I've never used it. I haven't used it either. Um, these days, much more in the Vue ecosystem than the React ecosystem. So I haven't been doing as much there. 
I have, however, seen some pretty interesting you know, case studies go by of using Gatsby. Um, you know, they published in my newsletter and things like that. Uh, there was one that came out last November um, on using Gatsby to build a an e-commerce site. And you know, there's a whole article about you know how they did it and how they generate it and what their hosting architecture looks like and whatever. Uh, but the the kind of amazing thing is just playing around with the the e-commerce site. It is so freaking fast. Like it just every single thing feels instant. And it's, you know, it's a it's not a super simple site. It has big, rich images. Um, you know, it's uh I think primarily women's shaving stuff. So it's not I'm not the target audience, but just like playing around with it, I was so impressed at the level just the how smooth it feels moving through it and it it feels everything feels instant whether it's loading these massive detailed images or what you know it's just it feels very very slick and you know we've seen there's data out there about how speed matters when it comes to e-commerce right like you can literally count your conversion rates based on how fast things are and this thing feels freaking instant um, and it definitely got me thinking, like, if I'm going to, I'm not doing e-commerce right now, but if I were doing e-commerce, I would look very seriously at using a static site generator plus some sort of uh, Jamstack API type thing, um, you know, whether I'm doing it myself using just uh, Stripe and a couple other things, or there's, um, I, I've seen, um, I think it's called Snipcart, that is just, you know, entirely JavaScript-based carts. Um, but yeah, it's it's really really fast. Yeah, I just headed over the to the website and um, popped into slow three G throttling on my Chrome Deck Tools and kind of browsed around their product page a little bit. It's actually not too shabby for the throttling that's on there. So, um, I want to kind of um, start to like look forward into the future because we've talked about. Um, what SSGs are, what their past was, um, and then kind of some of the ways that we're using them. But I'm curious to know, what are y'all's predictions for what the future of SSGs will be? And then also, I guess, what you'd like to see evolving in the static site generator ecosystem. So we'll get into that topic right after this break. This episode of JS Party is brought to you by OneMonth.com, one of the best places to learn how to code in just one month. Their courses have helped over 60,000 students go from knowing zero about coding to building programs and languages like JavaScript, Python, and Ruby. OneMonth.com graduates have gone on to get jobs at awesome startups like Airbnb, Instagram, and Spotify. Their courses are easy to follow with step-by-step -step video tutorials, instructor-led with weekly assignments reviewed by your instructor, and results-driven with each student graduating the course with a portfolio of projects to show prospective employers as well as a certificate of completion. If you're interested in taking your career to the next level, head to onemonth.com slash jsparty and get 10% off any coding course. Once again, that's onemonth.com slash jsparty to get 10% off any coding course. A big thank you to onemonth.com for supporting JS Party and online education. Thank you. 
welcome back everybody. Uh, we are going to move the discussion forward into the future um, and talk a little bit about some of the predictions that we have for static site generators in um, the future. And then also what are some features or things we'd like to see come out of the static site generator ecosystem. Um, so yeah, does anyone have a prediction or a request for the future? Well, I'll, I can jump in with a prediction, which is that we are going to see and hear more and more and more about them over the next year or two. You know, we talked about those kind of two phases of static site generators, the uh, kind of first phase, very content driven. And I think we're now still in the early stages of a second phase of static site generators uh, that is realizing essentially how powerful it is to combine static site generation with the proliferation of APIs. You know, we had a first, APIs have become kind of the, the way that companies have exposed their products to developers. And for a long time that was happening on the server side. But now that we have these rich client side frameworks, um, you know, we've got <clears throat> React maturing, we've got Vue, we've got Angular still going strong. We've got lots of stuff in Ember, all these different powerful frameworks on the client. Everybody's made that a relatively normal way to interact with their APIs. Um, there's been a lot done to make sure that we can do that in secure ways. And um, that enables static sites to add dynamic functionality bits at a time. Um, and this kind of gets into this idea of a Jamstack architecture that we'll talk about in a sec. But you know, that ability is there now, and we're just starting to see people really take advantage of it. Um, and that you combine that with the performance necessity of you, we have to, we're trying to access a worldwide audience. Now we're trying to you know, get stuff out to folks who are, um, you know, all over the world with potentially slow network connections, especially, you know, when you talk about mobile websites and it's really important to be able to push things out to be as close to them as possible. So SSGs give you that ability to get your content close to the end user. And we now have the power to additionally layer on all the dynamic pieces. Like we're just starting to see the possibilities here. E-commerce, as we're seeing, is like we're just seeing a couple folks going that way. I think it's going to dominate niche e-commerce. Like niche e-commerce is going to move to static site generators and API-based stuff because it's so freaking fast. Um, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Shopify or someone else ship a version that is, you know, use the Shopify backend with a static site on the front end and we'll generate it for you and just ship it out because it, the, the speed advantages are so, so huge and speed just immediately equates to dollars and cents when it comes to e-commerce. I don't necessarily have a prediction, but I do kind of have a request for features um, and it ties into our earlier discussions about um, making sure that um, your static site generator is accessible to the people who are authoring content. Um, one thing I'd love to see is um, static site generators become a little bit more friendlier towards um, non-developer users. Um, and again, I might be speaking here from my programmer bubble, but it seems like a lot of static site generators 
rely on knowledge of like things like how using the command line or using Git and other things like that to to manage and work with them. Um, I think it'd be really cool to see things start coming out that are don't make any assumptions about somebody's um, technical skill set with respect to getting static sites set up that might already exist and be out there. Um, and I might not know about it, but I think that be more accessible static site generators would be a cool thing for the future. Yeah, that, that would be my request as well. Um, I, I think that, you know, it would be great to, you know, for these sites that are, that are mostly content with, with templates uh, wrapped around it to, to decouple that content um, maybe from the, the code base itself, because right now you have your templates in there, you have maybe your markdown files and it's all under version control and blah, blah, blah. But if you had a, um, you know, just a, a, some sort of document store with, with, uh, you know, nice editing capabilities where somebody non-technical could go in and edit a document and then save it and then triggers, trigger a build and deploy, um, maybe that static site generator, and I'm sure something like this exists, could go and, and, and pull that document from the document store and then use it to generate the site. But it would be cool to, to at least have the, the option to decouple that content from version control. Well, and I think you know, those, those options exist right now. There's lots of these kind of headless CMS type structures, but I'm not sure... Like, I think there is tremendous value in that kind of, we're going to wrap this all up for you in a nice way. And sort of the same way that um, you get with, what is it, Siteleaf and Jekyll, which is like, they have a perfect, like, here's how you integrate this into Jekyll and Go type of setup. Like having, here's our prepackaged, you know, integrate with, uh, looking at what that um, e-commerce site uses, Contentful, which is a, you know, headless CMS, integrate that with Gatsby and Go. Here's how it works. Here's your hosted platform. You know, it just runs. I think that is good. I think one of the interesting questions right now in this space is the bridge between those two worlds, the very content-focused world and the very dynamic world. Um, one of the static site generators we didn't talk about but that has come out in the last year was ViewPress, which is a... You know, Evan Yu side project essentially. Um, Evan Yu being the creator of Vue, but it's a a zero config, you know, Vue based static site generator that runs off Markdown. It's currently very optimized for documentation. I think that was the first use case. Use case was uh, for docs, and it's a little weird to work with after doing some other SSGs because like any sort of custom components or other stuff is all down in a hidden dot view folder. But um, you know, I think one of the really interesting things that it raises or that it's trying to raise is bridging between the power of a you know, dynamic or advanced JavaScript framework SSG that you might get from a Nuxt or a Gatsby or a Next, um, but also having that simplicity of content management and markdown stuff. And I don't know that ViewPress is getting that right, but I think it's that sort of space there of how do we bridge the gap between something that needs some more advanced stuff, but that also has a lot of stuff that just looks like, hey, get this content up on the web and make that transition seamless and work well in the same framework. On 
thinking about documentation a bit more, um, you know, the, there are plenty of tools out there that will take your, say, your TypeScript types or your, your JS doc doc strings and will generate some API documentation, but none of them work like super well. <laughs> so um, I think it would be cool to, and, and for, for Mocha, we have, you know, Jekyll, right, to generate the the documentation. And then this is just, you know, the tutorials and guides, and this is how to use Mocha. But then we have API documentation, which is yet another tool that we have to, to, to use. So we use JS doc itself with a custom template. And uh, I would like to see, um, you know, just kind of like a, a more all-in-one solution for for documentation. Um, you know, it's it's possible we could, um, you know, actually just do it all in JS doc. Uh, but you know, the, the, the templating capabilities are, you know, kind of lacking. So, I mean, um, just, just on the document documenting open source project front, um, and especially API documentation, uh, I, I would like to see some more effort because, you know, JS doc is old and we've been using it for a long time and, you know, Nothing has really emerged as a clear, clear successor. Okay, Paul, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I'm curious to get a little bit more into it before uh, we end off the show. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the Jamstack is um, and kind of how it relates with static site generators? Absolutely. So Jamstack stands for JavaScript APIs and Markup, and it is essentially this. It's kind of taking this concept of the fastest thing to send to a user is just static files, HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. So it is you know, saying, hey, the first thing a user sees is all going to be static. It's going to be pre-generated. It's going to be something that they can get load from an edge node on a CDN. But layering in and saying, hey, we actually want this to have dynamic related stuff. Um, so let's take advantage of the proliferation of APIs and, and make that possible. And in some ways, in some ways you could think of it as like, this is just your separated front end, right? This is a rich client side application that talks back to an API. But I think what the, the Jamstack approach is saying, or where, where they're trying to take that is saying that that set of APIs doesn't have to be an API server that you manage in the backend. That can be a set of third-party APIs. Maybe that's a bunch of serverless functions that act as APIs. You know, it's kind of decomposing your traditional backend and saying, we don't want to get rid of that directly or entirely because there's some functionality that for either security or persistence or whatever actually needs some sort of backend. But we're going to make that a something that is only interacted with via APIs and is not the first thing that gets to a user. So I think you know the this is this idea that applications might be primarily or at least initially all statically generated. You know, this is the idea that a static site generator doesn't have to create something that is all truly static. It's just giving us the first view and the skeleton and the thing that is then going to talk back to an API. So technically that Gatsby JS e-commerce site is a Jamstack application it is 
you know, generating JavaScript and markup and then talking back via an API to manage any sort of purchase or anything like that. There is a proliferation of companies aiming to support that now. Uh, conceptually, you could use anything that exposes a JavaScript-based client-side friendly API uh, could be used that way. So Stripe could be used. I think they might just use Stripe directly on theirs to manage it. But you could also, you know, there's folks trying to manage, okay, here's an entire full-featured shopping cart. There's folks saying, here's your client, uh, your content-based stuff. So you could be doing content that is managed client-side versus managed at build time or server-side. You know, it's anything that's happening where the first thing that gets to the user is completely static and any dynamic content is fetched after the fact from an API. Nice. That does sound like a really great combination of tech. I can see how that's naturally where things would be headed. Anyone have any last thoughts, feelings, opinions, rants, perspectives on static site generators? We're still in early days. This is clearly a, uh, I would say, superior approach for a relatively uh, right now narrow, but I think expanding set of websites and applications. You know, it is fundamentally enabling better performance in many ways, better security uh, because you're um, essentially shielding any sort of interactions with a web server through some more well-defined APIs that are probably a lot easier to test. Uh, you know, it's, you can't hack a, a static site. There's not much you can do there. Uh, and so, and, and if you're doing, you know, just content stuff, like the fact that you can't hack it is phenomenal, um, compared to the security nightmare that can't be WordPress. Um, and I think it's many times a better developer experience. So it's kind of better along a number of dimensions for some subset of applications. And I think that set of applications right now is narrow, but is growing rapidly. So if you're not already playing in this space, you should definitely be taking a look. Awesome. Somebody somebody's gonna take that as a as a challenge to to hack your static site. <laughs> uh yeah, they probably will. <laughs> um I'm not really sure. I mean kind of depends. There so there are layers there, right? Like so as I mentioned, my static site is served via Nginx. Um, so if you could hack, if there's a hack that can, can get to Nginx doing static stuff, like I suppose you could find a way to do that. Um, but that's a much lower surface area than the PHP that is WordPress. Um, you can get it even lower, right? You served your static site entirely from S3 buckets. Now they've got to hack freaking Amazon before they can hack your site. I was going to sign off the episode right after, uh, cables inspiring and optimistic bit about the future of uh static site generators um but now i gotta figure out a sign off after discussing hacking websites um which i don't have a good transition for <laughs> other than please don't try to hack cable I, um, i'm sorry i'm sorry everybody I it's apologize. okay if, if you can <laughs> if you can hack nginx uh serving a static site i mean Granted, my con I, I'm not an Nginx guru, so my config might be suboptimal. But seriously, if you can do that, you've got a job somewhere because that is some serious hacking. Good luck. 
All right. So that is Cable's challenge to you, listener. Uh, do try and hack his site. He's completely okay with it. White hat hacking, right? You hack it and you send me the vulnerability. <laughs> yes. I will give you a bug bounty. Uh, let's say if you manage to hack my site, uh, the first person, should I do that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you already started the sentence. You got to finish it off. All right, you, first person who successfully hacks my site gets shout out creds on JS Party. How's that? Oh, uh, OK. I think that is a good that's kind of that'll be like a radio show giveaway. Um, if you call in with your the vulnerability that you found <laughs> in Cable's site, we'll give you a shout out on live. Um, and if you're listening to us live, you're probably one of the first people to hear that. So you've got a head start on hacking Cable's websites. Um, so thanks for joining us live. And if you're listening to this later, um, you don't have a head start, but you could still try and hack Cable and get shout out creds on the podcast um but whenever Whatever you're listening to this and up. wherever you're listening to this <laughs> um <laughs> thanks for joining us here on js party have a great day all right thank you for tuning in to js party this week tuning live on thursdays at 1 p.m u.s eastern at changelaw.com live join the community and slack with us in real time during the shows head to changelaw.com community and do us a favor, share this show with a friend, read us an Apple podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. I'm Tim Smith, and my show Away From Keyboard explores the human side of creative work. You'll hear stories sometimes deeply personal about the triumphs and struggles of doing what you love. I need to give myself permission to not overdo it. If I know that the weather forecast is really good tomorrow and I don't have to do a podcast tomorrow and I could go to the beach, maybe I go to the beach. Maybe I do something that is not work. New episodes premiere every other Wednesday. Find the show at changelog.com slash AFK or wherever you listen to podcasts.